Welcome back. This was one of my favorite episodes ever, hands down. Sat down with my cousin, Tony Quirk. He's uh, a little older than me, a little wiser. But I'll tell you what, we sound pretty similar, so you might get confused listening to both of our voices. But with all bullshit aside, it was a great time. Um, We just shot the shit for about two hours. We uh, talked about music, beer, life, and um, a whole bunch of other shit. But I mean, seriously, it was a great time. So without further ado, Tony Quirk on the JQ and Friends. Actually, this one is the JQ and Family podcast with Tony Quirk. Pretty slick little intro, right? That dude, actually, that's pretty. That's pretty smooth. Yeah, I like no. that. One of one of my friends, he's uh, also an Urban Hill graduate. He created that for us. It's he does like EDM and uh, uh, techno music. Uh, his name is Flex Bormar on Instagram, and he he just hit me up and he was like, "Here, I got an intro for you for your podcast." Right. right. So I just tossed it in there. Okay. I dig it. Yeah, it's de- it's definitely something to vibe to. So is I mean. Just just to start that off, how do you feel about EDM and techno music in general? I I like it. I think there's a time and place for every kind of music. Okay. And I think EDM and techno, uh, they have a place in exercise, and they have a place in um, parties, and they have a place in like raves and stuff like that. Right. I mean, I would never go through my day casually listening to EDM, <laughs> right, yeah. EDM or techno, but I mean... <laughs> Like there, there's a time and place for everything, you know. I yeah. Mean, there's a time and place for Dave Matthews, and there's a time and place for uh, Ted Nugent and Strangle. <laughs> right. Know? Yeah. So, absolutely. But, I mean, I feel it's good. I, I like EDM when it's necessary. Okay, that's fair. What are your feelings on it? Uh, I I don't know. I'm I'm pretty indifferent about it to be honest. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's, maybe I'm just a little bit biased because I did a lot of security work for concerts sure. and stuff, and so probably work those edm yeah so i mean you kind of see um i I will say this i will i will give edm fans this credit they were probably some of the easiest fans to work with um i don't know if it was just because of what they were doing socially in the crowd or the drugs they were on yeah right (laughs) (laughs) um but they were very easy they were just very easy to manage um as far as just like the flow the flow of the day went really smooth there was never really any big like hiccups or anything, but uh, like when you're backstage at some of those shows, I mean, they're uh, legitimately you can see people walk up to their sets and like plug in a USB, and then they're just kind of like jumping around, and, and they're more like hype men while their yeah. pre-recorded stuff goes. Um, and I get to how that's appealing in a sense, and like you said, it's situational for sure for some people, but other people, you know, all mu- all music genres have diehard fans. Yeah, but. Uh, you know, like when you're backstage and you see stuff like that, where you're like, "Dude, are you really, you really just putting in a USB and pressing play?" Like, I, that makes me question your actual abilities as an artist. If how like if you're just cutting up and sampling and not really creating your own sounds, what's the artistic value? Yeah. So. Well, I think I think this what I just did by playing that little clip is the artistic value in EDM is like, it's so situational to the point where it can be used on multi-platform, right. mul- 
multi-content. Like it, it can be used on uh, a situational basis where mm-hmm. like, uh, I mean, I, I wasn't looking for anything in particular, but my, right. my boy Flex Bormar just hit me up and he said like, here, I think I know you were looking for an intro. So here's this. And yeah. I mean, it's a really vibey, like, no, totally. It, it goes from it goes from like a louder sound, it fades out to a quieter sound. It's right. just like a super. It was a, it was a very cool intro. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, and I I think uh, I think EDM is it it kind of fits into that realm of like uh, like modern uh, fascination with this whole like technology thing. You know, we're we're really we're really into this whole technology thing right now, and mm-hmm. like just the sound of EDM and the sound of techno music, it really kind of fits into that vibe. And I think that's why a lot of people like it now. And raves obviously are in right now. And right. just that kind of whole vibe. But I mean, it it is what it is. Music is situational. That's how it is. I think that's a fair point. Sometimes I guess I, I, I forget about the situational aspect of music, mainly because I'm pretty biased. I, I, well, I mean, I guess I, yeah, I'm pretty biased about. Well, because I mean, elevator music, music is music. Yeah. N- nonetheless, it's elevator music, and you know you hear it in elevators. Right. Yeah, but like I mean, the, there's that uh, Pandora station where it's like piano guys or something yeah. like that, where it could be like a Metallica song slowed down just to the piano chords, yeah. and you're like, "Holy crap!" Like, is that is that the Four Horsemen that I'm listening to right now, or something? But so I see, I see where you're talking about situational. Sometimes I guess I need to remind myself of that. That's a good point. Music is an interesting thing from the get go. Uh, we were sitting on my deck the other night, and we started getting on the topic of Ted Nugent. Not Ted, Nugent Ted Nugent is in my head now because right. I brought him up. But yeah. Stranglehold is one of those songs where any genre or any a person who is into any genre, if you sit down and you play Stranglehold and just say, listen to this song mm-hmm. and listen to the sounds that are being made from that guitar, right? you kind of start to understand what music is. You know, It's expression. You know, totally, it, and it's it's uh, it's someone who has the ability to express themselves in a way that not everybody can, mm-hmm. and it's someone who has like crafted this expression down to a point where they can make their fucking guitars talk. Yeah, you know. Yeah, no, I hundred percent agree, and, I, and honestly, it's one of my one of my favorite uh, songs and guitar riffs of all time, and I think it has a good, bunch of like great lyrical content too, and just the way that the song moves. Um, it's got a nice, got a got a lot of nice builds, um, some great solos. Um, I, so I, I guess you know when you talk about like the ups and downs of a song, um, in a way I, I understand where we go. If you go back to the EDM thing, like one of the big things that I guess you could say that EDM fans kind of look forward to is like the drop or you know that one specific point in the song, kind of just like a guitar solo. The, the song builds and then all of a sudden you just get hit square in the mouth with it. And Stranglehold is a great representation of that as far as rock and roll music goes. Even though Ted Nugent has now become a complete nut job. He can still strum the fucking guitar. <laughs> yeah, but he can still uh, he can still rip a guitar, that's for sure. And, and yeah, like making music talk for you through your hands. Like when you, when you have nothing else to say but you have a feeling and, and all of a sudden you can make an instrument say that for you. You got to respect that quality of it for sure. And I think that's what EDM is. It's just that like we're at the pinnacle of technology right now. We're at like the we've pushed it almost as far as we can, like the, to the point where this is what music is. It's a digitally created, um, artificially, completely artificial. You know, yeah. there was no real guitar. There was no real bass that went into it. But it's a 
it's a click and it's a pull and it's a drag and it's something that makes it sound the way it sounds to the point where it's pleasing to us. Right. You know? Yeah, it's definitely a far cry from where it started where, you know, they used to record music by dropping a needle on a record. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, tech, yeah, as far as technology is advanced and in, in just in general and in the music realm, it's definitely created a whole different world of opportunities for people like us right now sitting in a basement (laughs) (laughs) to become artists yeah exactly (laughs) yeah i mean like the the buddy who created that intro for me not to not to belittle him or anything but like he he is uh it's not like he has a like a professional crew and like a studio and like all right. kinds of staff working for him to create music. Like mm-hmm. this is a, a dude who figured out how to manipulate a computer and who had a, figured out how to manipulate a uh, sound, right? And make it make it his own, make it pleasing. You yeah, know? make make it so like it it doesn't sound like just waves coming through headphones, but it, mm-hmm. it sounds like actually something that you can get in line with, you know, right? A little bit, but so so if I asked you like. I, I hate the generic, you know, what's your top five bands question. But uh, if you, or even the, if you're stranded on a, on a desert island, what would you listen to? But, uh, I mean, if you were, if, here's here's a scenario for you. You're driving out to Washington to come see the West Coast Quirks, and you got 24 hours, and you got one band that's going to get you through. What are you going to go to? One band. One can get me through the whole way. <sighs> One band the entire way from here to Washington. Twenty four hours of I ninety, basically. Yeah. Wow. Man. <laughs> Counting crows. See, I kind of got that vibe from you the other day when we were just driving from Des Moines to Waterloo. Dave Matthews, yeah. something that mid nineties, like uh, right. that, just like really guitar heavy, really bass heavy, like. Right. Blues, like a, a very blues and fluids rock band. Very, I like I like musicy music. If, I got, I if that makes sense, yeah, to you, you I know. Follow. Like I, I really don't get behind. Uh, I really don't get behind a lot of the stuff that's. I mean, I guess we were just talking about EDM and stuff, but I don't, I, I don't have a an easy time getting behind something that's like really technologically produced. I right. like, I like listening to something where it was at the mercy of someone's hands plucking strings or it was at someone's hands smacking a drum with right. drumsticks i agree 100%. you know it's a it's a, you can feel the physical presence of drums and guitars and music mm-hmm. more than you can feel the presence of a, a computer generating right. audio high and low you know right. and i mean so and i think the reason i would choose someone like that is because whether you know the song or not whether you know the album or not these people have uh, tens, tens of albums, you know, with music that, at the very least, is that it's people playing guitars, bass, right. drums, and singing. Yeah, they know? got thirty years of, of you know, of a catalog yeah. built up that you could you could search through. Where I think a lot of times with the computer generated stuff, and even today with like the modern music, you turn on, you turn on like the the top radio channel in mm-hmm. your town wherever you are. Mm-hmm. A lot of it sounds the same. Man. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. The, yeah. But I mean, we're talk when we're when we're listening to some of these old school, mid eighties, nineties, early two thousands. I think it's funny that you label old schools as nineties, but we can go on. I'm, I'm a youngin, man. You are I'm, I'm a youngin. 
like I actually have a theory. I think this is a good time to put my theory on the line, but okay. summer hits the 2000s. That Pandora channel was really popular with people of my age group, and here's my theory as to why. When we were children, we were in the car with our parents, driving places, and they were listening to the radio. Right. And a majority of the time, the songs that were we were this was the early 2000s, right. where we would have been children in the back seat, riding mm-hmm. around with our cars, or riding around with our parents, listening to the radio. And we would hear Counting Crows, right. and we would hear Dave Matthews, right. and we would hear uh, just all kinds of stuff you hear on the summer hits the 2000s, right. you know? And then we don't we, we abandon that for seven years. And then by the time we're young adults, summer hits the 2000s, and like streaming surfaces, streaming services and stuff like that make a resurgence, and uh, they're able to categorize music like that and say, here, these are hits from the summer of 2000s. Right. You know, and we hear that music, and whether we acknowledge it or not, subconsciously, that music strikes a chord with us because when we were young, young kids, mm-hmm. when our brain was molding, mm-hmm. that's the music we were hearing. Yeah, so it's a, a nostalgic property, right. too, for sure. And, like, when you're a baby, noise, color, all that stuff is fascinating mm-hmm. to you. You know, you're like, whoa. Look at that beautiful way. Would you say that it's not fascinating to you now? I mean, I think it's definitely fascinating to me now because it was so, it was ingrained in me then. Right. But there's certain music now that I don't like because, Mm -hmm. you know, I could listen to like some older, older stuff or some newer, newer stuff and that I don't, that I don't, I don't identify with it as much or I don't like enjoy it as much as I would like some of the stuff from, uh, the time when I was a young, young kid, like I, right. I really connect with the stuff that was from the early two thousands, mm-hmm. and I truly, truly think that that was because of the, that's the stuff that I heard when I was five, six, seven years old, and it's right. the stuff that was when your imagination was developed. Right. It's it's when my when my brain was developing, and it right. was hearing these sounds and being like, wow, these are satisfying sounds. Right. And so now I'm, I'm. 21 years old and i hear those sounds again and like yep these are the satisfying sounds that you heard 10 right. years ago yeah you know yeah i think that's funny too with what you're talking about as far as listening to the radio because i think we can all agree that for the most part quirks like road trips oh yeah we're, we're drivers uh, I, I mean, fuck a flight yeah yeah it's uncomfortable and humans shouldn't be in planes anyways it's god put us on the ground sketch. for a reason it's super sketchy but uh, <laughs> it's super sketchy yeah metal birds of death but um you know, even in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, you talk about this huge transition of technology, too, where the radio was still such a huge source of your musical options because, you know, it, cars had still had tape decks, and there was only so much room for tapes in the vehicle yeah. when you've got four kids in the back of yeah, a Suburban. sure ripping down you know ripping across the country you might you might have had like 10 go-to tapes but for the most part those go-to tapes were what they wanted to put on so you guys would all fall asleep <laughs> that's yeah. what that's what my parents always did they, sure. they, they put neil young on because they knew as soon as neil young hit the hit the uh the tape player the whole all the kids would crash but as far as you know trying to like switch up the vibe and look for something to to keep the car alive and spark conversation or keep the kids quiet for a little bit whatever it was you had to defi- you had to you had to get on the radio and like i've got sirius xm on my on my rig right now but i still find myself only listening to like five stations right 
and and that, and that's that was your preset option on the car, and right. it still is. You got like five or six preset options, but you know I've you know you, you have your hands on these two hundred some channels, but rarely do you venture outside of your right. comfort zone and what you've already kind of pre-decided of what you want to listen to. Right. You you kind of I don't know if you become a product of the music you listen to or the music that you listen to is a product of who you are, you know. But either way, it's like uh, there's certain there's certain channels that like strike a certain chord with certain people, mm-hmm. you know, like you're, you, you see, uh, I, I, I guess I don't know how to put it, but like you, there's people who will listen to the jazz channel and there's people who will listen to the classical music channel with mm-hmm. Johann Sebastian Bach, and, right. you know, and there's, there's a time and place for that too. Mm-hmm. But there's people who will always, as their go-to, go to the heavy metal station. Right. You know, no matter the time of day. Like, mm-hmm. heavy metal. Like, now is the time for heavy metal. Right. And I think that's just, whether it's upbringing, whatever it is, but I, this is why music is so fascinating to me, is because it, it can grab people, it can grab people from out of this natural world that we know and take them into this, like, ambiance of, like, uh, you almost you almost lose touch of reality yeah. and, and kind of enter into this. You enter into the wave that the music is on, what, right. like whatever whatever kind of genre it is. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and I think that's what's cool about music too is that it gives you this. <laughs> in a sense, it gives you a, an idea or a, a catalyst for adventure in the safety of your car or in your home. Um, you can, like people say, you can get lost in the music, right? Yeah. And whatever you're feeling at that certain time, um, and if you have a an imagination or the ability to remove yourself from your current situation, um, you can explore all kinds of different all kinds of different worlds, or not necessarily worlds. I mean, that's that's a totally different conversation, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's that it's that outlet that. I think the the human human element always needs is that there's always this drive to remove yourself from your current situation, and some people um, do that health in a healthy way. Some people don't, but um, that's what's funny about humans in general too is that there's always this need for escape of some kind of from yeah. a certain situation, and it's a funny instinct that all humans have, and it's whether or not you have the ability to chase that. Or if you're just going to be stuck and settle and be boring or whatever. <laughs> well, I mean, we're creatures. As, as much as we might hate no, we're animals. We are absolute animals. animals. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have opposable thumbs and we have big brains. Right. But we are looking for the same primal instincts that just every other mammal, every other animal is looking for on this planet. You right. Know? And the idea of escaping your reality is just as real to us as it is to any other species. Right. And... I think music is a really, really good example of something that our brains and our opposable thumbs have created and kind of manifested for our idea of escaping reality, mm-hmm. you know, because there, there's a lot of ways to escape reality that are naturally driven. Right. I mean, whether it be some plant that you might find in the ground or whether it be whatever, alcohol, you right. know, but there's... Uh, music is one of them and mm-hmm. and it's uh it's something that we figured out that can manipulate the human mindset right that is um 
it's cr- also created by humans, you right. know, and, and it's manufactured by humans. Like I was telling you the other day, there's that song, it's called uh, Weightless by the Marconi Union, mm-hmm. and it's it was created by neurologists and uh, a, full, oh, right. a full symphony, right. and they uh, created a song that was scientifically proven to reduce anxiety and depression mm-hmm. by up to 60%. Right. And I mean... If there's if there's scientists who can sit there and create sounds right. that are able to ma- manipulate the way that we feel, mm-hmm. you know, it we're we're trying to escape reality just like anything else is. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just such a fascinating thing that we we can sit here in this technologically advanced, like amazing um, human world that we have, and we can take a completely human uh, creation like music. And click play, and you enter this whole other world. Right. You know. Yeah, and you can think about it in a bunch of different ways. Music is definitely definitely a way to escape reality. But I think I think sometimes people forget that one of the reasons that they're trying to, you know, like let's say you, you talk about some of the most you know successful people in history. One of the reasons that they're successful is obviously they have a drive about them too. But another reason is that they have a way of stepping away, whatever that that way is. It could be going for a run, exercising. But one of the most productive things you can do is sometimes is acknowledging that you're busy, but being able to remove yourself from that situation to open your headspace and become productive again. And I think it's just a very natural human instinct to look for just a little bit of an outlet just to to cleanse the mind, if you will. Um, and, and we all do it. We yeah. all have different ways of doing it, but I mean, it's like, like having pets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How much joy does this little hamster give you? Or was it mouse or hamster? Or whatever. He's a Siberian dwarf hamster. Uh, see, there you go. How cool is it that you get to come home and just stare at a Siberian dwarf hamster yeah. for 10 minutes and just not think about that. You just worked two jobs today. Right. Yeah. He brings me a lot of joy. I, when he stands up on his back legs right. and uses his arms to right. rub his head, it gives me this weird connection. Like, whoa, I do that too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I also use my two back legs and stand there and use my arms to rub my head. Right. Like, whether you're in a cage right now, like we have something that's the same. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and and it gives me this weird like little connection to a, a Siberian dwarf hamster. Right. Do you find that in your writing at all that you've been doing? Yes. How so? I think I think I have uh I think I have an almost over appreciative view on nature. Okay. Like I, I really I really, really appreciate nature and how it is and this earth's natural format and like everything that was here before us. And I mean we're smart. And like I was saying earlier, we have big brains and opposable thumbs. Right. Even dumb people are still technically right. pretty smart. Right. <laughs> and our brains and our opposable thumbs have led us to this dominance that we have on planet right. Earth right now. Yeah. And once a natural disaster strikes, once some sort of comet or ice age comes again and we're gone, other things are going to come and other things are going to survive mm-hmm. because they've been here for longer and because they're easier species than we are. Mm-hmm. And I... I think having a little Siberian dwarf hamster in some way makes me appreciate that. Right. It makes me appreciate the fact that I'm human and 
I'm able to think this out right now. I have a bed and a bedroom and a house. But this little guy who's living and breathing, just like my ancestors have lived and breathed hundreds and thousands of years ago, his have the same. Right. You know, and it's all been on this planet Earth. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's just fascinating that both of us survived the right the cataclysm that was the dinosaurs being right removed. To, to the point to the point where me and my boy Chunk sleep ten, <laughs> sleep ten feet away from each other and he eats blueberries right out of my hand. I think the nature is fascinating, and I that's another reason why I I visit Colorado frequently and. That's another reason why I enjoy working outside and I enjoy sitting on my deck in the morning and breathing right. in the fresh air, right. you know. Yeah. I it's I feel a deep connection to the place that we live on, not my house, not my street, not my city, not my state, not my country, the place that we live on, planet Earth. Right. I feel a really really deep connection to that place. How are you going to defend that connection? Defend it. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, you, you, we're talking about all kinds of great things, obviously, but in what way are you going to leave a mark that is going to keep your your ability to escape and to connect with the planet Earth? Is, uh, do you have any idea of how you might try and protect that ability to do so? I think me trying to protect it would almost be counterintuitive to the idea of earth and life itself i think i think earth and human life i think life in general not even human life is so profound and so amazing that for me to try to impact it in any way i mean i can affect and i can impact our human species for Mm -hmm. sure in our time on earth right i could who knows? I could I could create I could create a movement that starts and passes a law that's revolutionary in this country. Right. But if three hundred years from now a comet strikes and we blow up what's the significance? Who fucking of cares? Yeah. You know? I think that I think we live in a beautiful place mm-hmm. on this planet Earth and I think twenty thousand years ago it was uh a lot simpler than this, you know. I mean, obviously, twenty thousand years ago, it was probably a lot simpler than this. And I think, I think me trying to, me trying to leave my impact on this earth is is definitely counterintuitive to what I'm saying because this earth is, this earth produced me more than I I created my existence on this earth. You know? Yeah. I, I think we're all just a product of. Uh, a lot of evolu- chance yeah a, a chance man we're yeah. we're just an icicle on the window we're a blade of grass if you think about it like yeah. long down the road we're we're creatures mm-hmm. we're we're a long form strand Our of evolution. time will come yeah yeah hmm. i i see what you're saying but i mean but i mean uh in another way do you view your impact on um you know your your more current surroundings. Do you, do you think that that's something that you care about necessarily? I mean, like, do you, do you enjoy influencing your family's life? Do you enjoy being part of your friends' lives? I mean, definitely. Do you think that do you think that, that good nature can help protect society while while it exists? I think definitely. I think if more people were inclined to think 
that their surroundings are only their surroundings are um coexisting i mean i mean we we are coexisting with our surroundings just as much as our surroundings are coexisting with us True. and i think if everyone were to look at it that way i think it would impact society in a way that would be beneficial to society and mm. beneficial to our life and our our society's existence on earth because i mean the way we have it right now our society and we we think that the earth is giving to us but right. in reality we are just we're here like mm-hmm. we're just we're 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 existing we're yeah. you know and i mean the earth is definitely providing us with a lot of resources mm-hmm. oil that we clean oxygen yeah. you know like all these kinds of things and i mean if we were to forever abuse them that the way that we are currently abusing them i mean our society's existence is you know mm-hmm. but i mean I, th- I think if everyone to everyone were to look at it as we're coexisting there's that blade of grass there's me we are almost one of the same you know in fact yeah. we are damn near one of the same and we have to treat each other that way i i i think that's a i think that's a it's a step towards longevity okay for our society right. I, I i i so yeah i i think i think what i'm what i'm preaching here does have an impact on society or does have an impact on my i mean my your current, friend, your, your your immediate surroundings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, and I, I think it's it's also just a good lesson in uh, it's it's humbling if you can accept the fact that holy shit, I'm not in control. This world is in control. If you can accept that fact and be humbled by planet Earth, right? Like you you gain a whole new perspective on the world. And you know, people who think that fuck it, I'll just litter and throw this bag out my window, right? You know, that that's a different kind of person. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying too. I mean, especially like the type of people that wake up every morning and are so calculated about how their day is going to move. Obviously, there's tasks that we need to do. Right. Right. There's taxes. Yeah. There, there's yeah. rent. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's all, all these, these things, things that we we need to do to survive. But in the grand scheme of it all, you could fall out of bed. You could slip going up the stairs. And all of a sudden, all these great plans that you made are all of a sudden non-existent completely out the window. Right. So when you look at your immediate surroundings and how you impact people, um, I think it go. I think I think your your immediate impact on family, friends goes a lot f- goes a lot farther than some people might perceive. Um, obviously, you want to be, or we all, I guess, we should try to be good-willed towards others right and right. whether that's religion that prompts that or if it's family that just teaches you that um i mean yeah we can all just put our foot in the ground and be a dick if we wanted to <laughs> right but uh i think when you when you go to work when you when you interact with people the pay it forward idea i guess in a sense it's more impactful than some people might might realize right like these small these these itty bitty acts go a long way where you might feel like you don't necessarily impact future generations but your little your little act one day can multiply in such a a high magnitude i i guess you could call it the butterfly effect in a way sure i I mean sure sure but uh i think that's definitely something that uh especially currently in our current situation here in the united states 
the idea of goodwill is completely lost right. upon our nation right now. Well, because we're in a me first generation right now. Like, got to get your things done. And I mean, that's understandable in a lot of cases. Like we were saying, you got to pay your taxes. You got to pay your bills. You got to you gotta take your shit and you got to make sure it's taken care of. Mm-hmm. But the idea of paying it forward and the idea of recognizing that maybe you're not the importance right here. Maybe there's other things that are more important. Or, you know, maybe there's a, a bigger picture here that you're missing because right. you're looking at something smaller picture. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's, I think that's something that almost everybody in our society could, could kind of, um, try to understand more. Yeah. So as, so as a kid who's, uh, about to finish college, and you're sitting, I mean, yeah, you're working, you're, you got a cool job down at that, that beer hall and stuff. Love Super beer. rad. I would love to, I would love to work there. Um, but as, as a kid who's about to finish his college degree and you're, I mean, you're staring down <laughs> to reference one of my favorite movies, the hairy eyeball of the world. What, what are your insecurities about joining the next step? The, the, as some people might say, the real world. Once you get out of your studies and really have to focus on eating, breathing, living in a much larger scale, what are you thinking about? What what, what think, ideas do you have? I think some of my insecurities definitely relate to the inconsistency with our, I guess, uh, quote, real world. You know, I mean, there's places where the cost of living is see i mean we say these weird terms like cost of living you know Mm -hmm. like there's places where you can live for really cheap and you get paid less Mm -hmm. or there's places where you can live for really expensive and you get paid more i think one of my biggest concerns is the fact that i could as a young person i could start in a place where i think okay this is a place where i can live cheap and i start living my life there and then all of a sudden, just like 2008, or shit, even worse, just like 1933, something that is completely out of my control, right. completely at the hands of another person, completely mm-hmm. at the fault of another person, right. or another group of people happens, right. where we all have to pay, where we are all burdened by... By um, their mistakes. Right. Yeah. And I mean what can you do? We live in the society, the United States of America. You pay your taxes. We're all citizens. Right. And I mean, when, when you're a, when you're a 21 year old, just getting out of college, you have a, a girlfriend, you're looking for a place to live, a place to settle down, get a full-time job. It's easy to be gullible and it's easy to fall into someone's, Hey, you can get it at this cheap. You right. can live here for this cheap. It's got a white picket fence. You know, it's comfortable. It's safe. Right. Exactly. Right. But and that completely gets everything looks appealing. Yeah. And I mean, the market, the economy, all those things are so out of our control. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't control how 300 million people spend their money. Right. And we can't control the way that the market reflects that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's definitely the biggest insecurity that I have is that I could be fucked over for something that I didn't even play right. a part in. Right. And is that fair? Is that a part of living in this society? Is yes. That, yeah, right? <laughs> right, right. It's 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 a part of living in this society. You yeah. Know? Like, and I, but did I sign up for this? Was no. Did I ask for this? No, I was just born. You were just born. We right. were all just born. And we said, okay, we're, you're in the United Make States of America. Happen. Here's your social security card. Right. You got a bank account. By the way, you're very lucky. Right. Here you are. Right, 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 right. 
and now we have we have the uh we have to go out and you have to you have to try to you have to try to make it all work right and i so i think that's my biggest insecurity is just knowing that i could be doing everything right and think i'm doing everything right and according to all of my higher ups and the people giving me good advice that i'm doing everything right right but all of a sudden it could be very wrong right like yeah. you're wrong you're fucked you owe forty thousand dollars on some shit you know right hmm i guess i, I think that's a good way of looking at it because because you're right i mean there's there's all kinds of things that you can't you can't control absolutely um but there's but there there are a great deal of things that you can control too um i mean you can, you can control how where you live what you do there's all those there's all those factors for sure but uh you then then you have to think about too um the whole especially especially i think <laughs> you see it all the time with social media and all the bull crap that we see constantly and think about how much time a day that you spend cruising facebook or instagram or twitter or whatever they could be doing things far more productive but the glamour and glitz of the way people portray their lives on social media is such a hoax. Right. It is such a hoax because they are all dealing with the same bullshit that every other person is. It, minus, you know, minus a very small percent. Yeah. But it's very easy to portray yourself in today's society as successful. Right. And you're really... You ain't doing shit. Exactly. It's like, I know who you are. Happy birthday, Hannah. I had so much fun at the Lake of the right. Ozarks Where with you. Where would I be without you? <laughs> I'm so glad I used my credit card to rent out two weeks at a nice cabin. Oh, my God. Venmo me. Just Venmo me like 20 bucks and we'll call it even. That's super funny. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. I, I definitely know what you're saying. And I think I think my insecurities are kind of definitely partially um, created or driven from that idea. Is that I was I grew up in the social media age, you know? Oh yeah, you definitely did. I saw I saw kind of the like when my my freshman year of college um, was when I found out about Facebook, and it was called the Facebook then, and you had to have a college email in order to gain entry into that website or whatever. Yeah. Or into that social media platform. And I had no, I mean, I had no idea of it. I had found out maybe a couple months before about MySpace. Yeah. Cause it was still very new too. And, but once, once, once you got on campus and you found out about this Facebook thing, you were like, Holy cow, there's, I have access to all this information and all this, all this stuff and it became it becomes very entrancing right and people have continued to fall for it right i mean to to the sent to to the extent now where our current president spends more time tweeting and golfing than he does actually trying to get shit done right i mean it extends that far from us sitting down here slamming some highballs and drinking whiskey and just it, it extends all the way up to the most powerful man in the world. Yeah, and I've talked about this with some of my other friends before too. Is that we are in the information era right. where it's wh access. Whether we have it right now, whether the information is shit 
or whether the information is completely legit. Right. It's information and you're consuming it. Right. And so, I mean, when I logged on to Facebook for the first time and I saw that one of my friends was at the 4th of July carnival and they had a picture of it, I was like, holy shit, I should be at the 4th of July carnival. Why am I not there? Right? And I, like, I think that whole idea, it, it's FOMO. It's fear of missing out. You totally. know, for Forever. It creates, yeah, this grand ideal of FOMO, for right. sure. And, and I think that's that's where a lot of these insecurities are driven from, is uh, basically everything becomes a fear of missing out to the point where you have to prove that you're not missing out. You have mm-hmm. to prove that you're in on the action. Yeah. And it, 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 Society it, of how can I one-up you. Exactly, man. Yeah. Like, Instead of just going about your business and doing your own thing. Like, oh my God, Casey has like 2,500 Instagram <laughs> followers. I'm trying to get like 3,000. Right. You know what's super stupid about it too is that I have a great deal of friends that um, just can, have no interest in being a part of social media. I mean, they're they yeah they listen to podcasts and stuff, or they uh, they still just watch ESPN or Fox News or MSNBC, whatever. But they have no real social media influence in their life whatsoever. Um, and so when I talk to them about like, oh, did you see this? Did you see that? They're like, no, I don't, I I don't give a shit. I don't I don't care what you're talking about. And the way that we justify it, which is which is what I'm trying to say, is that once you've been a part of social media for, for a while, it's hard to cut that away from your life because you're like, oh, well, all my pictures are on Facebook. Yeah. How am I, I, I probably talk more with some of my family members via social media than I do over a text message or yeah. anything like that. Yeah. So it creates this necessity out of something that you really don't want to be a part of. And you're you're bound to it after after an extent of being on a social media platform, you have you you justify it constantly of, well, geez, I need to check in on the Bears or the Packers or, I need to see what my grandparents are doing on you know right. are they posting stupid shit on Facebook right. are they sharing like right. sent thoughts and prayers bullshit <laughs> sent thoughts and prayers, prayers. Um, you know and and all of a sudden you're you're there, right and, and you and then you spend all day sometimes without even realizing it of just cruising your phone for no apparent reason right when there's so many other productive things that you could be doing right but we're drawn to it we're weird it's our connection it's it's our it's our it's our false connection to reality right it's it's like that music Mm -hmm. that we were talking to right it's a different type different type of escape yeah it's uh you dive into that world Mm -hmm. You, you you say fuck this real physical world that i'm in right and you dive into your little box that you hold mm-hmm. in your hand where all of your friends are all of your friends are there at one time mm-hmm. and you can see you can see exactly what they've been doing right oh i do it all the time i'm i'm 100 guilty of it i have a stupid snapchat group that is we to be completely honest with you it's 13 guys and one girl her name's Danny, and we call it Danny Stream Train Bang, <laughs> just because it's funny, and because well, I mean, she's she's probably been with uh, half of us, but <laughs> she's still a great friend to us all, and she's yeah. kind of like the head bitch in charge of our entire friend group. But we that's how we communicate. That's and we we send snaps to each other. We make plans. We go on trips. We go to Mariners games out in Seattle. You know, we we go camping. It's it's become such a necessity that. My my best friend and I, he lives just south of Seattle, and he got so tired 
of us playing phone tag with each other that we just write letters to each other now. We completely just write letters to each other. Once a week, I get one from him, and I rip one back at him. Nice. And it's it's funny how how much more excited I get about getting a letter in the mail than when you wake up in the morning and you see all these little like Snapchats. these little Snapchats or these little things on your Facebook and Instagram saying like, "Oh, you, like something happened, something happened." Like when you you appreciate it so much more that your friends sat down and took the time to write in cursive too. We made a rule that you had to write in cursive, which is definitely a lost That's art. That's important. It's yeah. definitely they, a lost art. They don't art. even teach it. Anymore. They don't teach it anymore. I still know it. I, I got, still know it too. I got it. I, I was I was just barely in right. on the curve. I, I, was, I got the tail end of it. I was telling I was telling Grandpa this the other night. Um, I was working for this nonprofit education grant before I took this current job, and I had this tutor that was working for me, and he was an early admittance into the University of Washington. Super smart kid. But one day when I was running my after-school program, we had all these, all these kids, we had like 80 kids in this library doing homework and getting their shit done. And the power went out. Everybody lost their fucking mind. And this kid comes over to me, and he goes, Mr. Quirk, I, I'm trying to write a paper for my senior AP English class. I don't know what some of these some of these words mean that I need to, that I need to look up. And I was like, okay. And he goes, well, what am I going to do? I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? How am I going to look up the, the definitions of these words? I was like, dude, we're in a motherfucking library. And he's like, what? And I was like, <laughs> I walked him over. I was like, let me talk. Let me let me introduce you to this dude Webster that I know. <laughs> and you know, like dictionary, just, yeah, yeah. How, like here's a dictionary, dude. Like, do you know how to spell? Look up the goddamn word. Yeah. And it blew his mind because he had never had to open a book and look up vocab words basically right. in a dictionary. Right. And he's going to one of the best schools in the country. And he had he, he he completely shut down when the internet went away. He had no other skill of how to solve his problem as soon as as technology went away. So I mean, you you were talking about how you connect with a lot of your friends through social media, right? And I mean, that student that you were helping out would have been would have gotten his shit done a lot quicker. Yeah. And easier with the internet. So in one word, is the internet and social media good or bad for our human existence currently? Good or bad? I would say necessary. Necessary. That's a great answer. I I, I won't say good or bad, but it is 100% necessary for everything that we do. We are completely plugged into the matrix. Yep. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, absolutely. We, there is no way that our government, our economy, ourselves can function without satellites, internet, technology, power. And that's what's kind of funny when you watch like apocalyptic movies. How morality just completely goes out the out the window. I mean, yeah. you know. All rules are just gone. And it happens quickly in all those movies, too. And obviously, it's a survival situation. And I'm not talking about, like, I'm Will Smith running from fucking zombies or aliens. Right. You know, I'm just talking, like, maybe a disease or maybe some nuclear stuff. Um, or even something as simple as the power going out for a long period of time. Right. What the hell would happen to society 
if the lights just turned off. Exactly. Do you know? Do, do you, you know, do you know what to do? It's, I mean, you, yeah. uh, and a lot of and a lot of times now, with the vehicles that they make, you ain't going nowhere. Like, do you, do you know how to turn the power back on for a city? No. Do you know how to even wire your house so that it has power? Hell no. If you had a generator that could create power on its own, and you yeah. had all the all I've the rigged wires. up a generator before too, but. But then again, you still got to find a power source to fucking rig that thing up to. So basically, what it com- we would we all be out in our streets. I can this, make a fire. I can is, definitely burn some this shit. Is an old jo- <laughs> this is an old Joe Rogan bit. Okay. It, he, would be, he, would, he said, if the power went out, we would all be out in our streets looking at it. We would all walk out and be like, so you guys know when it's going to get fixed? Right. Does anybody know? Does anybody guys, know? Does anybody know how to fix this? Right. Do you guys know how to fix this? I don't know how to fix this. Can someone turn this back on right. for us? You know, it'd be you know you know who would survive first was if let's say the power goes out. Bear grills. <laughs> Bear grills. Sure. Well, yeah, survivalists. Okay, so that's kind of that's kind of what I'm saying. The people that would survive first. I mean, think about it. When the power goes out, you you deal with it too. Here, you know, like when tornadoes come around, sure. and shit, right? Power goes out. You damn sure don't open the fridge unless it's necessary, right? Because you got to keep some shit in there, right? If you start seeing people dig in their backyard and start digging down as far as possible to make their own refrigerator naturally with the coldness of the earth as you get, you know, yeah. lower, I'd be like, okay, hey, dude, Joey three doors down is already digging a trench down there to store his food. We should probably team up with Joey. <laughs> like, right. Let's go find that. Dude. Yeah. Because something tells me, too, that he's thought about this before. And God bless America. He's probably got an arsenal in there, too. Mm-hmm. And as much as I have issues with a lot of our gun control laws, Tony Quirk's packing heat. (laughs) (laughs) And when it comes to an apocalyptic situation or when when it comes to tragedy, you want to be, you want to be strapping, man. Yeah. And I mean, even I know as silly as this sounds, when it comes to an alien invasion or some sort of, (laughs) right. Some sort of something species, that only Will something. Smith or Keanu Reeves could save us from, right? <laughs> or maybe even Nick Cage. Oh, Nick Cage would be in there maybe too. Maybe Nick Cage. Yeah, totally. But I mean, when it comes to those weird sci-fi situations that we don't see as realistic, when something like that comes to fruition, you want to be packing. You want to be ready. <laughs> you definitely want right. to be packing. Yeah, I definitely don't justify a lot of the. A lot of the things that even some of my, my really good friends have, like I look at what they have, and it's like that that's just unrealistic. There, there, there is no situation where anybody's going to be coming. I was actually talking to your dad about this earlier. There's no situation where really anybody's going to be coming knocking on our America's doorstep in that type of way. Right. Where citizens truly need to arm themselves. Right. We've got so many systems in place that any right-minded well, yeah, that's that's a that's a strong phrase, but anybody who would really think about invading the United States, they would have to press a big button until they're more intelligent than we are. Right. Until they're from somewhere else right. than this planet that we live on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's neither here nor there. You're right. <laughs> so so we've definitely gone down some uh interesting routes so far. Interesting routes, but I kind of I, I do want to switch routes a little bit because you are closely connected to um, someone who knows a lot about beer. 
Oh, not, yeah. Not that you don't know a lot about beer. Right, right. But I think your dad probably knows. He knows a shitload a about beer. A shitload about beer. Yeah. And I mean, me and you both like beer. I'm 21, so mm-hmm. I just started liking beer this year. Mm-hmm. But, uh, right. um, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, you've been liking beer for 10 years? Yeah, yeah, 10 plus for sure. Your dad has been liking beer for 40 years? Yeah. Okay. And so this is. And yeah, you got to remember too that. Like like Wayno and like Uncle Brian maybe even I don't, I don't Steve uh, I think yeah anyways um, <laughs> it used to be eighteen was the drinking age for yeah a long time. sure sure for okay so twenty so, years so or forty years for yeah, sure 40, yeah. 40 for no problem so my uncle your dad Wayne what is the what is the course or the what yeah what is the course that he teaches so so basically what he does um, he 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 build this brilliantly and i'll actually tell you the story of it because i was there so um he went from the admin route of the university after being an admin for a long time um he found his his found his way back to his natural setting in the faculty world and um we were at one of our favorite restaurants in ellensburg washington it's this little wing joint and uh he he said we're sitting there drinking beer, and him and his couple of his buddies that work in the biology department were like, "Man, there's, there's only at the time I think there was only four uh, universities in the United States that had some kind of craft brewing focused um, uh, master's program. Basically, it's a master's in brewing, right? Uh, UC Davis has a really good one. There's a couple. There's like two on the East Coast, and there may, might be one more in Cali. But I, I, I want to say, as of right now, there's only like five or six in the country. And Central Washington University is one of them. And what what is the title of the course? It's Be- becoming it, a brewmaster, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's it's an actual it's a certificate. So there's there's some bio, biology classes, some chemistry classes, and then they throw in some business shit with it too to help you with the marketing side well, of sure. everything, which yeah. is super important in the craft brewing Absolutely. world. Absolutely. Um, but it, it basically it's just called like the masters of brewing Yeah. and we have a, a, a wine major and stuff at that university too, just because of what we have out there agriculturally is, you know, uh, grapes and apples and all that other bullshit. But, uh, so basically what he does is that he teaches people how to brew beer. And so, you know, obviously you have to start at the low level and having a good understanding of biology and chemistry because anybody who says that making beer doesn't have any scientific properties is wrong. Right. Although the people that created it, some really interesting monks, um, did it without a whole lot of science, just a lot of time on their hands. (laughs) Um, but yeah, basically he just teaches people how to make beer and it's super awesome because I, he'll, he'll just give me a call and be like, Hey, uh, We've got, uh, they, they, I mean, they, they actually teach classes of how to make beer the right way. And they actually have classes too that show you how to make beer the wrong way so you can identify when things go wrong in the process. Important. S- which is super important. Um, and I luckily got to do a seven week course for free where I basically just got to go and drink beer for seven weeks in a row. How do you apply for that gig? <laughs> so <laughs> you got to know the right guy. Um, <laughs> Um, and it was great. I mean, they, they, they do all kinds of stuff. And I, you, you kind of talked about it earlier when I asked you at the beer hall, if you, uh, if you taste all the, all the beers that you have on tap. Right. So it's kind of a similar setting, but 
they give they basically give you this like piece of paper at least the course that i did obviously the actual master's program is way more in depth right um, and they actually have an entire they have like an entire brewing facility not not much different than your beer hall sure where that distillery is right yeah but they, it's just all dedicated to brewing beer and they just let these college kids go fuck around with a whole bunch of hops and everything else you need to make beer and learn how to do it the right way and the wrong way and how to identify you know are we cleaning all of our stuff the right way is that messing with our recipe um are we using the right ingredients at the right time all these other things that are just super important about how you make a beer yeah um and yeah they created a master's program out of it when we were drinking beer one day at a wing joint and they wrote the curriculum on a napkin i witnessed it It it's beautiful that is beautiful. They, they they literally, they were like, okay, so what what undergrad classes would they need as a precursor to this master's program? And they threw some bio and some chem, and they threw a couple business classes in there just for flair. Um, and then they created a master's program while we were drinking beer and eating hot wings. I mean, think about how many great ideas you've had smacking some wings and some beers. I've had a lot of great ideas drinking yeah. beer and smacking wings. Right. But did you have the wherewithal to write it down on a napkin? No, fuck. I yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what happened. Um, and I got to witness it a little bit, and it was it was super cool. And now he's just living the dream where he's got all these awesome grad students who want nothing to do but make beer for a living. Um, and I got to be a part of it for a little bit. But, yeah, you know, I got to, like, just uh, basically I got to go and drink beer for seven weeks in a row. And apparently I'm some kind of, like, trained Cicerone or whatever you would call the beer side of things. I know, I think Cicerone's more of a wine. Trans Cicerone? Sure. Think, <laughs> yeah. is, are you LGBT? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are, are, are you on the spectrum? <laughs> whatever kind of spectrum it is. <laughs> um, but it's, it's a beautiful setup. I mean, we just get to drink beer and talk to people about drinking beer. And um, the fact that I've been able to be a part of it has been super fun. Yeah, man. Um, and you, you, like learning about the history of beer oh, is super interesting. It's incredible. Too. Like, do you know the story behind IPAs? I know the story, but I want you to tell it. Are you sure? I want you to tell can, it. Can I hear your story and maybe I can correct you? Okay. 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 So we were at war in India. Okay. We had troops stationed in India. Right. And they were shipping beer over to the troops. Right. But uh, the beer would get there and it would be flat. Right. So they added more hops. They right. just started putting more and more and more hops in there uh-huh. and eventually that it got there and it was like this it would slosh around on the ocean right you know right. when they were shipping it over there and when it would get there it would be this super hoppy super heavy in alcohol right beer and that's the india pale ale right the ipa that's that's actually 100 percent correct is so yeah they they were trying to nail down the recipe that they had in the UK and everything, or you know, even in Europe, and they're trying to get it down to India, and they're saying by the time it gets there, it tastes like shit. Yeah. And so how, how do we how do we, you know, expedite the process? I guess you could say. And so they just started hopping the shit out of the beer, and then at one point too, it, yeah, it was getting. You're right. It was getting there, and it was these huge levels of alcohol, and it tasted great, and they were like. Man, imagine if we just drank this right right here before we shipped it. And that's that's kind of what built the the IPA industry behind it. Wow. Um but yeah, it, it what it wouldn't what's kind of funny too is like if you think about like uh those macro producers like 
Bud Light, Budweiser, blah, blah, blah. Sure. Uh, Bush beer. Anheuser-Busch. Anheuser-Busch. Right. right. So they, since they produce the same beer at such a high capacity, they can actually, and, and especially because they don't really, and, and they bottle in uh, dark dark bottles, which has light, light struck beer is a huge thing. I don't know if you know anything about that. So the, the color of your beer bottle has a lot to do with about what it's going to taste like when you get it. Um, so that's why cans last a little bit longer because light's not touching it. Or when you know you drink a, um, yeah, even a Bud Light, you know it's going to come in like a brown bottle. If you're breaking, if you're drinking brown bottle beer, it's going to be more um, realistic to the original recipe than if you're drinking a green bottle or a, or a clear bottle. Wow. That's why like Corona always tastes like shit. It's interesting. That's why you have to drop like tequila. I that. Yeah. Well, yeah, you always have to drop tequila or lime in it because it's it's light fucks with it in a big way. Um, that's where was I going with that? Um, where were we at? Remind me. We were uh, talking about. Oh yeah, yeah micro, macro producing. Macro producing. So sure. um, yeah, that's where we were. So like they, they've been producing at such a high level for so long. Like when you get Bud Light, it's actually ready to be consumed at that point. So it actually they have it so keyed in scientifically that when they actually cap that can and send it off. It's still brewing, essentially within the can. Yeah. So I'm. Um, it, it's. That's what's kind of funky about when you talk. When you see all these macro producing companies that are buying up all these microbreweries now, and they're struggling a little bit, because they don't understand all these different variables that these craft beers have to play with, um, and they can't figure out how they're going to keep up with it. Right. Because face it, craft beers taste better. Right. Period. We were talking about it earlier. Like those, they just do. Those variables and those variances, like, oops, I added way too much hops. And all of a sudden, yeah, you that's, got a double IPA or something. Why like. it's, that's right. why it's a thing, and that's yeah. why it's thriving right now. And that's, right. that's why you can sell a glass of a double IPA mistakes. for $8. Right. You know? Because yeah. it tastes good. Right. And you drink one glass, and you're feeling like you drank four beers. Yeah. You're not going, yeah, you have 15... Bud Lights, and you're going to be peeing every 10 seconds. But you have six IPAs, you had a good afternoon, you're going to take a nice little nap. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's what's what's so fascinating about craft brewing is it truly is a craft. Yeah. You take your hops, and you take your water, mm-hmm. and then you take your yeast, mm-hmm. you know, and you, you toss it in there in different... It's a giant science experiment. Different yeah. variances. Mm-hmm. And the thing about what your dad, my uncle, is doing mm-hmm. is he's giving young people an opportunity to explore that right. in almost every way. Right. You know? He gives them a great opportunity to fail. And, and I think that's important because yeah. failure is just the precursor. Right. It's the foundation for success. Yeah. If you, you don't know? change your variables, you just become insane, right? That's right. the definition of insanity. If you yeah. do it over and over again, yeah. you become insane. Totally. Right? But what's fun, what's fun about doing it with beer is that even a good mistake is probably going to taste all right. And that's where <laughs> sours came from. Sours came from, yeah. And it's yeah. 2018. It's the summer of the sour. Yeah, it, that, yeah, absolutely. There's been a huge influx in sour beers. I think it's I think it's got a lot to do with that. People who were raised to drink that macro produced. I mean, even Sam Adams is was originally one of the biggest craft brews, I guess you could say. But they're macro produced to to an ex, a very large extent. But you know, we're talking about like Budweiser, Bud Light, Bush, all that other crap. Um, there's just no. 
It's not fun. It's the same. The craft craft beer provides not only great taste, it provides great marketing, and it provides great conversation. Nobody who ever drank a Bud Light discussed Bud Light for more than, well, they didn't, because it's just Bud Light and you don't discuss it. Craft breweries incite a great deal of conversation. Exactly. I mean, that's why most of them don't have like TVs or anything in there. They want you to sit there and talk about their beer. Exactly. They want you to sit there and talk. I mean, I mean, we drank some beers today, and I mean, we sat there for at least a few minutes and discussed the difference between the beer that you drank that was 100 IBU right. versus the difference in the beer that you drank that was 40 IBU. Yeah. You know, I mean. It makes a difference, and these are the things that make craft brewery a craft. Right. Because we're talking about, holy shit, that hop is amazing. Right. Like, the amount of hops that you taste in this is amazing. Right. Holy shit, it's bitter, and it's biting the back of my tongue, mm-hmm. but the beer has such a, a nice flavor on the way down. Right. Where and then you, it's totally different five seconds later. It's like, if you let it sit, you're going to get a different flavor than your initial reaction. And, and that's so fascinating, because... 30 years ago you'd go into a bar and you'd say can i get a beer yeah and, and they, they just pump you the one of the two in a plastic cup right here you go beer mm-hmm. you know it's not just beer right. anymore do you want a berlin weiss right do you want a hefeweizen mm-hmm. a dunkel right. do you want a lager mm-hmm. do you want a pale ale you, do you want ipa a, yeah. a porter a stout you yeah. know anything yeah. And there's so many different variances of it, and that's what makes it a craft. Mm-hmm. It's like putting macaroni noodles and glitter on a piece of paper. <laughs> it's literally a craft, totally. man. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. Uh, that's that's one of the best parts about the craft beer movement because it is it's absolutely a movement. Is that it's just. It's a melting pot of creativity and discussion and science and all these great things. And um, at the end of the day, any, any self-respecting craft brewery is going to say that they create beer to bring people together. And I think that that's something that slamming 30 Bud Lights on a Saturday on 4th of July could never bring. <laughs> Even though that might be a very American thing to do, hate to. I, I just I have no interest in discussing macro beer. And I think another thing this craft brewery thing has done is it's welcomed a lot of people who initially didn't like beer into the beer community. Oh, totally. Where they're like, you know, I don't really like beer, but I like sour beers. Well, right. Yeah, you it's know? a it's 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 a gateway. They have gateway beers. Gateway beers. Gateway beers. Get to start with the sour. And that's yeah. how I describe it to a lot of the customers when I'm working at the hall. Right. You know, I'm like, do you like IPAs? Mm, not really. I kind of like hoppy stuff, but not really IPAs. Well, let me start you off with a casual IPA. You know, right. something that's like... Or a strong pale. 30, 40 IBU. Yeah. You know, something that's not crazy. Right. But it, this is an IPA. This is an India Pale Ale. Right. And then... You drink enough of them. You you kind of work your way through them, and you break through. Right. And eventually, you're in IPA land, right. where you can enjoy the really hoppy stuff, and you can understand it. You know. Yeah, totally. And I think that uh, sometimes too, um, people get a little caught up with the IBU stuff, where 
especially as you know like with which kind of what what you're doing right now when you've got like 50 60 beers on tap sure um one of the ways that you're going to connect with your your clientele is they're going to give you they're not going to talk about IBUs they're not going to talk about the science they're not going to talk about the alcohol percentage they're going to they're going to give you a description of flavors yeah and you're going to go straight to your factory and you're going to go okay i've tasted this amount of beer and you gave me four to five descriptive words that i can rip through my my dictionary of beers mm-hmm. and i'm going to try and put you onto something that a hopefully is enjoyable but also at the same time might blow your fucking socks off right. in the right way cuz you never want to be the guy that's like oh yeah you're just going to want to stop people people that just start off with they they're just like well this is what i like so here you have it you suck as far as a beer salesman goes there's there's too much going on where if if you need to actually ask them be like right. tell me tell me like you know what type of what what time of day you like to drink tell me how bloated do you feel like feeling <laughs> tell me what kind of fruits you like sure and tell me if you like things that are spicy or bitter right right and you can you know just off of those like maybe four or five key factors you can concoct in your mind something that you can give to a customer and that's kind of the fun part about the craft brew industry is that it becomes your own cocktail when you're serving too yeah Especially when you have, you know, the opportunities like you guys have with like 50-some beers on tap. Right. When someone comes to a beer hall and says, you know, I like something light, but I don't want to drink a domestic. Right away, I can say, you know, I've got this really good new pale wheat ale. Right. Yeah, you, you know, got a pale it, wheat it, or it's got, got a some, It's got like a tequila feeling to it. You know, it's right. got that flavor to it. It's got a little agave in it. Mm-hmm. And that gives it that tequila flavor. It's a really, it's about five point five percent right you know and they're, they're like oh that sounds good i'll right. try that you know yeah you give them some of those especially you know when you're when you're describing those lighter beers too it's really easy to give those light light sensing light sensory descriptor words back at them and they just eat it up yeah and then all of a sudden they're sitting there and they're like give me more and then before you know it two weeks later they come back and they've tried 10 beers because of your recommendation and all of a sudden, they're doing what they should be doing, which is drinking IPAs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> IPAs are the IPAs are the future. It's the future. I had this guy last night. I was I was working. And he said he was drinking Coors Light all night, and he goes, "You know, I want to branch out." He goes, "Bring me something that will make me branch out." And I brought him a Ho- a Hofbrauhaus Dunkel. Nice. It's a dark. That's lager. what you were drinking tonight. That's what yeah. I was drinking. It's a yeah. dark lager. Yeah. It's almost black in appearance. Oh, totally. But it has that light flavor, mm-hmm. that malty light brown flavor right. to it, where it's like, holy shit, this is just like a Coors Light. Right. A malty Coors Light. Yeah. Where they look at it, they go, Jesus, I'm about to drink gravy. Right. Right. But then all of a sudden, they put it on the factory, and they go, whoa. This is good. This is really good. And they say, okay, can I try something else dark? Right. So here, yeah, here's a multi milk stout. You right. Know? They say, "Wow, the stouts are good." Yeah. You know, I like stouts. You know, mm-hmm. and I think helping people branch out in the in in the beer world where Coors Light is fun. You know, there's a time and it's just like music. Yeah, like there's, there's a time, a time and place for yeah. everything. You know. Yeah. There's gonna be some of those days where it's like, especially like sometimes when you get around your boys, where you're like, 
Dude, we're going to be drinking for like 48 hours. There's no way I can we smash a, IPAs. We need a shitload of Coors Light or right. Bud Light. That's just that's just what we're doing. Or I'm going to be golfing 36 holes. Today. Right. I need some Bud Lights. All right. It's just hydration at yeah. that point. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a fun hydration. For sure. Well, we were just talking about beers. Not only were we talking about them, but we were drinking them too. And uh, for that reason, we had to pause the podcast and take a quick piss break and since that piss break we have forgotten what we were talking about so we're going to go ahead and move on to the next topic which is uh sports and uh football life after football all kinds of stuff like that but what it comes down to is we were both athletes Mm -hmm. high school college whatever it is and then there's a life after that Mm mm-hmm and there's a point where the game of football says no to you. Totally. And for a lot of people, that point comes in high school. Mm-hmm. For most people, in fact, it comes yeah. either before like or in high school. Or something, yeah. And then there's a lot of people who get the chance to go to the next level, which is college. And even fewer get the chance to go on to the professional level. Right. And so, Division Two, Central Washington University, mm-hmm. your offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. At your biggest, what were you? Biggest playing weight was like probably three oh five, but the heaviest I got was three thirty. Three thirty. Yeah. Was that post football? No, it was actually uh, right after my jun- my last game of my junior year. We were in the playoffs. I think it was the second round of playoffs, and um, we were playing West Texas A and M. Uh, and you might remember a couple of these names, but uh, uh, Johnny Knox. That played for the Bears for briefly wide receiver. And then, um, shit, there was a big offensive lineman too. Anyways, this big, this team from Texas that should have been Division One, no doubt about it. I mean, they were huge. But uh, I got rolled up in the first quarter, um, tore my MCL, uh, my meniscus, and fucked up my LCL a little bit. And uh, actually blew my knee brace apart. I got I got rolled up so bad the thing like shattered. That's evidence of a good injury. Yeah, totally. Um, but uh, didn't think much of it at the time, and and the trainers just kind of taped me up, and and like I knew it hurt, but um, you know it's playoffs. Talking about playoffs. Right. Playoffs. <laughs> Talking about playoffs. Playoffs. Um, so finished the game, but the like three days later went for MRI, and they're like, yeah, you blew your fucking knee up. Um, and so I mean that was like probably late November or something. And ended up having my surgery on Christmas Eve, which which in a quirk household is very dangerous because if I know my mother like I know your mother and our families, and especially Gma Quirk, because you were probably spending up there in Waterloo, there's cookies and there's food everywhere. Right. And you, so you can't eat. You, and so I was pilled out, you know, on all different kinds of pain pills post-surgery. With nothing but like twenty five different kinds of you know cookies and there's these all these big meals and I was stuck on the couch for a month at my parents' house during Christmas break from college. So all I did was eat and sleep and take pain pills. And when I went back in after you know I did some like little you know therapy stuff whatever. But I showed up to uh, the trainer's office after Christmas break. And my trainer at the time, she was like, Tony, 
dude, you're fat. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? It's like, it's like, I did, like how? I just, uh, I just had surgery a couple weeks ago. Like, I just been kind of laying low. I haven't I, done much. And she's like, yeah, you haven't done much, but eat your ass off. That's that's what we're calling Kanye syndrome. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. So yeah, I got up to three thirty at one point. Okay. And so yeah, that was a gross, a gross period, a gross couple months until I got back down to like around three bills, and that's when I finished my senior year at around okay. three hundred pounds. Okay, so I mean, we were both big boys. We were we were big because you were what you were what two eighty two eighty five at my highest I was two ninety yeah and I mean my playing weight was two seventy five two eighty right because I mean you could lose ten fifteen pounds in a practice right you you know no, what I, mean? I mean I mean as crazy as that sounds you yeah, literally but that could. much water weight and that much shit if that, it's ninety five degrees absolutely with twenty pounds of pads on you could rip you 10, can 10 pounds you off can no lose problem. weight like a madman yeah you know and I mean and the the craziest part about it is you lose that weight your coaches. And your administration expects you to go home and put that weight oh, right back on. Back on. Right. You know? Absolutely. And I don't care who you are. I don't care what you are. There's no way it's humanly healthy to to do that kind of thing to your body. Absolutely not. You know? And and, and especially at the lower levels of football, like what we played, like D two, D three, NAIA, whatever sure. whatever whatever Grandview was. NAIA, NAIA yeah. right? We don't have the opportunities that those Power Five conferences has as far as nutrition goes. There's no pro day. There's no. There's, there's no combine. There, well, yeah. There's. No, they even if they do have that, nobody's showing up. Yeah. But as far as like the Dolphins, maybe. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the Browns will definitely. The Browns be there. and the Dolphins will be there. But they 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 have no funding to teach you how to eat properly. Right. right? And so your coaches were just like. Can you put on 10 pounds? Get big as shit. Right. So you ate anything and everything at all hours of the day and all hours of the night. Didn't matter. Tacos. Didn't matter. Whatever. I don't give a fuck. I mean, one of the biggest things that I've seen, and and my weight's fluctuated quite a bit post-playing days, and that's over the last 10 years, right? Like, I I got, I I went down to 220. I'm currently sitting at 270. Um so yeah, I mean it's been all over the place since I've played. But they they teach you how to get big as shit, but they do not teach you how to eat afterwards. And it takes some serious commitment to kind of relearn it. You figured it out pretty fast. Congratulations to you. Well, I mean you you and or me and my dad me and you dad, <laughs> me and your dad, yeah. my uncle, right, were talking about how after college most of the offensive linemen, I guess all of the offensive linemen go one of two directions. One you figure out how to control your diet and con- right. control your exercise and you lose weight. Two, you f- you don't figure out and you s- you stick to what you know right. and you just you stop working out as hard because there's no structure. Yeah, and, and you don't have the opportunity to lose 10 pounds in two hours. Exactly. You're not going to a practice in 95 degrees heat with 20 mm-hmm. pounds of pads going against right. a bunch of other big motherfuckers just right. like you. You know? Right. Uh, you you work nine to five, mm-hmm. and you're eating the same, right. and all you're doing is growing, right. and you're getting bigger and, you're, and bigger Yeah, you and think bigger. that your 30-minute to an hour workout is doing shit, but ain't doing shit. It's, it's not doing shit, man. <laughs> there There's nothing to compare with uh, 8,000 calories a day that you no. are using to maintain right. the machine that you've been feeding, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that's what I think is interesting about sports in general, and even especially when it comes to football and offensive linemen. I mean, 
you you are literally curated from the start to be as big and strong as you can Mm -hmm. you know hey do you think you know you're 265 right now game day is in two weeks you think you could be 275 by then you know okay 10 pounds in two weeks holy shit i have to eat a bunch of chinese food you know yeah totally you know it's a it's a fucking lot of weight and Mm -hmm. i mean to put on 10 pounds in two weeks healthily in muscle mass it's not it's not not possible man if you want to put on 10 weeks and if you want to put on 10 pounds of muscle mass you gotta you gotta sign up for some six month Uh you know 10 week or something like that program right where you really you bust ass you count your macros right you work out two times a day months but when you've got a couple weeks to do it you eat anything and everything in sight. Anything and everything, and you minimalize. You minimalize the amount of activity that you're doing. You minimalize right. how much effort you're oh, yeah. you're expending, you know, and mm-hmm. you save that effort for when you're when you put your pads Practice, on. Practice weights, game day. Otherwise, eat, 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 eat. You're eating or you're drinking. <laughs> Protein shakes, chicken, yeah. pasta, whatever, man. Right. Whatever you can Shit do. Shitload of beer. Whatever you can do to retain that weight, mm-hmm. is, that, is that healthy? Mm-hmm. No, no, it's terrible. Yeah, and and that's what I'm saying is like especially at our level of football that we played, we don't have the access to those people that can help control that. And there's no training table. There's no nothing. It's you've got a swipe card to go down to the student union, and I'm hungry as shit. And coach said I need to eat. And when you get done at practice at eight o'clock, all they got left is chicken mm-hmm. and pasta, mm-hmm. and they got like ten heads of broccoli left. Right. You got to split it with the safeties and the wide yeah. receivers. You're like fuck those skinny dick motherfuckers. Give me that shit. shit. Give me that shit. Give me your corn. And you have to <laughs> <laughs> give you a corn bread. You get six glasses of chocolate milk. Oh, absolutely. You got to the shits that you take massive when you're a fucking offensive lineman with a forced diet 30 minutes disgusting disgusting compared to the shits that you take when you're just a normal citizen right a human being eating one to two meals a day like we were fucking designed to eat right it's different if not once a day if dude maybe even less than that maybe even less than that yeah but I well, mean, I mean, that's why you can survive. I mean, that we know yeah. the facts that we can survive weeks without food and water, right? right? And water, obviously, you need more of. But food, you can fuck around without food for a while. A while. Um, yeah, you might be completely crazy and delirious, but you'll, your body will go into survival mode. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the uh, I've seen I've seen a couple of my buddies. I I haven't been to the extremes that they have, uh, but I've seen some buddies like pump up to around the five range yeah and i mean i I have a few buddies that have definitely taken the latter option you know they've gotten bigger rather than figuring themselves out and i mean it's it's all a product of what we were taught you know well it's this ideal too i mean when you're in a locker room every single person in there is trying to be the biggest baddest alpha male in the locker room I don't care what position I'm the biggest. You want to be the biggest swing and dick in that locker room and on the field. And that mentality, when you don't have to fight for that on the field anymore, some people have a hard time handling that just going into the professional world Mm -hmm. where they don't know how to approach an interview or a conversation without them being known as a football player. Right. 
you know if you if, if if nobody knows that you played football at Grandview University how do you describe yourself if if that's not on your resume a lot of people have a hard time identifying without the athletic side of their life because it was such a huge part of our lives you were a three-sport athlete forever and then went to football and college just like I did your whole life I mean like 75% of your childhood you know from what nine to 18 years old baseball basketball football right right what happens when that goes away exactly and I mean I've talked about this before on the podcast actually but what you said right there is exactly what happens to someone who has been engulfed in this uh, team sports for sure with football um, ideal for a long time you know you identify as someone says, hey, what do you do? What do you do outside of here? Well, I play football at Grandview right. University. Okay, uh, you're done playing football at Grandview University, and someone says, hey, what do you do outside of here? Well, I um, I go to school. Right. Um, I'm studying communications. I work at the beer hall. I work at the beer hall. You know, um, it's not as glamorous. Right. You know, because yeah, I mean, and that's part of American society too. Is that we hold athletes at such a high standard, right? And it's it's such a like if if, if you just say that you were a college athlete or are currently or you're a pro athlete or something, people go, ooh, they have a lot of skills. Your your <laughs> your, your identity as a human in our society raises up. A class oh yeah when absolutely. you say that i'm an athlete yeah. you know mm-hmm. and and i think that's part of it when you end that period of mm-hmm. being an athlete and you're you're no longer yeah. an athlete you suffer from a little bit of identity loss oh totally and you you say okay so totally. i'm no longer a football player i'm just a civilian and you say okay maybe you can pride yourself on i used to be a football player at blah mm-hmm. blah blah but the fact of the matter is you no longer are right. and you have to find something else to justify how you your existence <laughs> yeah you have to find somehow you have to find a way to justify what you are in your current state you right. know and i mean forever or i guess as long as most people who are student athletes know it they say this is what i do i play baseball i play football this is what I do. Right. And when you finish that, you can go one way or you can go the other. Mm-hmm. And yeah, when all of a sudden you, you don't become, know. Yeah, you don't know. And all of a sudden uh, you just, especially like when you're in school and, and the game's over abruptly, it's just gone. And then you're like, I, I just go to school. What do I do with the rest of my day? How do my friends say that they're busy? when they don't have to go to meetings, when they don't have to go to practice, when they don't have six other hours of commitment throughout the day. And plus, you know, a lot of us too worked, you know, side jobs, played football, went to school. And you kind of start looking around and you're like, y'all motherfuckers ain't busy. (laughs) Right. Like all of a sudden I have all this time on my hands. What the hell am I going to do? And... It, and you know when it comes down to like what we were talking about earlier with like the, all the eating and stuff, there's a lot more time to munch. Right. When you got four, no doubt. four to six extra hours a day to just sit around and snack. I think it's super easy to call an outsider lazy when you have stuff to do. 
mm-hmm. when you're put in the position of I have nothing to do, it's pretty easy to be lazy. It's really easy to be oh, lazy, absolutely. and it's really easy to justify it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can say, "No, dude, I'm just watching Netflix, or right. I'm just hanging out, or right. whatever." But I mean, the fact of the matter is, if you were a student athlete, or if you were in that position, you would be doing something right now. Right. You you would have some sort of commitment. Right. And once you lose that, you have to fill those hours. Those hours of the yeah. day don't go away. No, they you know, don't. It's it's still something that uh, you have to you have to kind of take your identity, replace it with something else. You know, mm-hmm. you have to fill something else into the student athlete. This is what I am. I'm an athlete. Right. You have to fill something else with that identity. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. No, I, I I completely agree. And and a lot of people struggle with that and continue to well i mean some of the guys that i played football with in college still they like they 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 live their lifestyle like they're still a 21 year old kid doing their thing you know playing ball and stuff and it's like no dude you ain't playing ball you're not going to class right you're going to a job that you hate and then you're partying seven nights a week because you think that's still the thing to do and it's unhealthy <laughs> yeah, it's man it's unhealthy right yeah and and yeah and Especially in the professional world, it's such a different type of battle. Like, when when you're an athlete, obviously it gives you, it, it, it does, it 100% gives you a perk when you walk into an interview and they look at your resume and they say, oh, you not only completed a undergraduate degree or a master's degree, but you also had this other super time-consuming thing of being a college athlete. It proves that you can show up, right? And that you know, it, that carries a lot of weight. But then all of a sudden, when you actually have to really show up and start producing professionally, it's a totally different kind of battle. Right. And you lose this. Some people are really good about turning that athletic, like, str- like that drive to be the alpha male into their professional world. And a lot of people struggle with it. Yeah. Where they don't know how to be the alpha male in their office because they can't beat the cra- like I can I can't just line up next to you and beat the shit out of you. I actually have to put words to the paper. I have to like me- meet sales goals. Right. I have to produce in a different type of level that I don't really understand because it was always easy to be the best physically, but now I have to be the best mentally right. while still being physically productive because I have to be here for 8 hours. <laughs> and it's a totally different kind of battle. While it is a totally different battle. I think being an athlete definitely helps you get over that hump in some aspects where you can understand, okay, maybe I'm not, like my physicality has no impact here, but I know that I have to be mentally stronger than other people right. to succeed. And you, you kind of pull out that athlete desire right. or that, yeah. that like, uh, I need to be better than this person. Yeah, that primal instinct of it, I need to be better. Right. Yeah. And I think that's something that athletics kind of instills in you, mm-hmm. especially when you have good coaches and good right. good leadership. But that that instinct to, to succeed, to be better, it's something that we all have in us. And as an athlete, it's easy to display that with physical strength. It's easy to display that yeah. with something that you're naturally possessed yeah. Non-verbal. with. Nonverbal, yeah. But to intellectually 
display that strength or display that it's presence. It's a totally different skill. Totally different ball game. Mm-hmm. But being able to use that mindset that says, I can do this physically, so how can I figure out how to do this mentally? Right. That's something that I think is really beneficial. I think mm-hmm. that's something that athletes develop right quicker maybe more easy than non-athletes well it, yeah i mean it, it it teaches athletics not only teaches you how especially in the team sport world there's all these great skills that come with but you have these you have to work in groups no matter what profession you're in you're working in a group setting period unless you create your own business and create an app that you don't want to run after you create it and you right. just sell it and pass it on right the fact of the matter is you're working with people and you need communication skills and on the football field on the basketball court whatever sport you play there is no team sport that you can play that doesn't require a great deal of communication so that translates into the professional world in a big way Um, how you communicate is a totally different thing when you're out on the field you can be a complete dick and it makes perfect sense but if you're a complete dick in the professional world in the wrong way, that's an HR violation and you're losing your job. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in 2018. Especially man. in 2018. It's a hard dance. If yeah. you, it, but I think that if, if you can figure out how to channel that energy into, uh, into a medium that can be re- – that can be – responded upon by your peers like if you can channel that i'm a dick here's what needs to be done energy into a medium that your peers can understand without giving off that i'm a dick mentality yeah totally that's something that can set you far ahead of other people absolutely i mean yeah if you can walk into a room and present yourself in the the right way and sometimes just physical stature does that to you for you. Sure. Right? That's that's definitely an initial reaction. That's, that's the power of an alignment. Absolutely. But when you're able to communicate and put yourself at different, I guess, verbally, uh, what am I even trying to say? So everybody has a different level of type of uh, criticism that they can take yeah. in, right? Sure. I think athletes have a higher tolerance for that because think about how many times you've been called like the worst things in the world and you just go, yeah, I know. And then you do better. Like, like yeah, right? yes, I understand that's what I was at and that then, point. And then, and then, you know, for your current position where you're working in the service industry and you listen to some people take criticism from their superiors and it's like, Jesus Christ, grow some skin. Why are you so upset right now? All they said was move faster. I would love to have been told move faster a lot of times, but it came out a whole different <laughs> different kind of way from yeah, not only my family and my but my coaches, you know, in a in a, in a far more you better get your shit together type of way. Yeah. Like and, and it, it helps you athletics helps you take constructive criticism in a different way. And that's why it's beneficial in the long run. Um no matter how many head injuries we might have to, you know, over <laughs> on the ways, and you and you more than me, I I got lucky in that sense, but you got knocked on the skill on the noggin a couple times more than I did for sure. Yeah, head injuries are an interesting thing because while it's a part of the game, and while one second you're a badass who's going up to a fucking pull on a middle linebacker, and then the next second 
you are completely out of touch with reality. Right. It's uh it's an interesting thing, man. It's head injuries are I think head injuries are just kind of like a kind of like a they're like a, like an introduction into the realm of uh of not being an athlete it, it's kind of a like it's like a wake-up call it's a wake-up call yeah that's a good way of putting it can i can i ask you uh, i don't i don't um to be honest with you i don't think i ever had a concussion i mean i think you know you might have i've had maybe a couple like had my bell rung yeah type of thing but i never like had headaches had all these long elongated symptoms or anything could you could you maybe describe what a concussion feels like Okay, so from what I, you remember, obviously. So I knew I had a can. I knew I had some sort of brain trauma when. So we had a game on Saturday, and it was Sunday night at about nine p.m. And I had gone throughout my Saturday evening and Sunday morning like it was nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything felt fine, and then Sunday night I was going to bed, and before I went to bed, I went to the bathroom. And when I went to the bathroom, I shut the bathroom door it's a heavy bathroom door and it slammed shut and it was a loud sound and when that sound hit my ears started ringing and I started seeing stars and I started kind of like it felt like I was shaking around a little bit Uh and I knew from that I knew right away I said I don't feel good I hadn't drank a lick in 24 hours i hadn't drank i hadn't drank anything i hadn't smoked anything right i was sober as a as a bird fucking yeah. bird and when that door hit the clothes and it was a loud sound it struck something in my ear and str- something in my brain where within a few seconds i was completely ready to vomit mm-hmm. and i puked and i went out and i looked in the mirror and i splashed some cold water in my face and i looked at myself and my, I was shaking in the mirror. Mm-hmm. What I was seeing was me shaking in the mirror. Right. And I went and laid down, and I tried to sleep. And after about four hours of staring at my ceiling and hearing, Ugh. I knew that something was wrong. Right. And so I, I eventually ended up falling asleep for about two and a half hours, woke up the next morning, went to my trainer, and I said, something is wrong. Right. I don't feel good. He said, why don't you feel good? Uh, like, you know, like, why didn't you tell me earlier? And I told him like how I felt how fine happened, and yeah. how it all happened. He said, okay, this is a common symptom of concussion. Late onset. Late onset. Right. right. And I went back and I watched game film and there was no hit, like no big hits or anything. Nothing, nothing crazy, but something happened during that game where I was knocked my brain was knocked out of my regular state. Right. And I was put into some sort of some sort of state where I was I was hardly able to distinguish between reality, you know, and, and But something you were else. functioning fully. I to on Monday morning I had a nine AM and eleven AM class that I went to. Mm-hmm. And on Tuesday afternoon, I went to my teachers from my Monday morning class, 
and explained to them why I wasn't at class on Monday morning. And they said, Jake. You were here. You were here. Whoa. And I said, okay, something is really, really, really wrong. And they were like, you were here. You were present. You talked. You know, you... You participated. You participated. You weren't just a zombie in the corner. I, I wasn't sitting there. I was I was actively participating in classes. And you have no recollection. And to of the this. point where the next where they day they thought it was a norm. Like they were like, Yeah, he, he's always participating. They thought it was norm and the next day I went to tell them while I what why I wasn't in class and they were like, Wait, you were in class and I went. I was. I was obviously still concussed at this point. You right. Know? Yeah. And so I went. I went and I kind of contemplated how how is this possible? You know, this doesn't make sense. I I I wasn't there. You know, mm-hmm. I was in bed all day. I, I I felt fucked up. Like I was seeing stars and shit. Right. But no, no, I wasn't seeing stars. I was at class. I was talking to my peers. You're going about your day. I was going about my day, man. I was a human. I was a human being during those states, but my brain was off. So this is kind of like what we talked about in the car the other day, when you had those dreams where you were like staring at your body. Right. And that's it, fucking interesting. And and that's some shit that happened to me while I was in my concussion state. Like it was a uh, less than a week after my concussion, I had a dream where I. In my dream, I woke up and got out of my bed, walked to the bathroom, splashed some water on my face, and after I splashed some water on my face and turned back to the door, and I was walking in the bathroom door. That's fucked. I saw myself walking in the bathroom door, and I said, "You, you know, I was, I, like, I had no, I had no conscious thought of it." I. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing I know, I wake up in the morning and I said, holy shit, I just had a dream of myself right. walking in the bathroom and splashing water on my face and looking in the mirror and then walking and turning and seeing myself walking the door. And I said, is this normal? Is this normal at all? Right. And I mean, I've, I talked to my trainer and I talked to a doctor about all this kind of stuff and they said, you know, man, you're definitely fucking concussed. Right. Like you have something going on in your brain that isn't right. normal. And... Like at that point, it was okay. I am, uh, my brain has been compromised to the point where I'm, I'm thinking and feeling and experiencing things that didn't actually happen. Right. You know, I'm experiencing something that is completely fictional and made right. up in yeah. my head. Has, it never happened. And, I have to try to decipher It's like that. your body took over and said, this is what I should be doing, and right. that's what you remember, but that's not what you were actually doing. And I have to decipher that from reality. And Fuck. I have to try, to try to discern and see, okay, what's real, what's fake. I don't remember being at class, but my teacher said I was at class. Right. But I remember looking in the mirror, but I wasn't really looking in the mirror. So what's real, what's not? You know, right. I was in this really vulnerable state. Right. And I... and. That's when, and that's about, this is about a week after I had, like, initially realized that something was wrong. Right. And I said, okay, this is something that is bigger than an injury. Oh, yeah. This is bigger than a week, and then we'll try to work on getting back to practice. This is way bigger than this season. Right. You know, this is, this is my reality. So, I mean, you've, like, you've been dating the same girl for how many years? Four years. Four years. So has, and how many concussions have you had during that time? 
Two concussions. Two concussions. So has she ever, like, caught you, like, slipping, like, mentally in that time? Or, like, like in that time? Because she went to a different school than you. Mm-hmm. So, like, even, like, phone conversations where she, like, babe, uh, what de- the fuck are you talking about? Definitely, like, late at night or, like, uh, sleeping. Right. I would uh, wake up and be in, like, a state of panic or, right. like, a state of, like, Almost uh, like a PTSD like, type of thing. Like confusion, right. you know, and then, you know, she'd be like, you know, like you're here, right? You know, it's okay, calm down, you yeah. know, or or something where like I'm nervous or I'm anxious for no reason, right? And these are things that these are things that I should be in control of, right? These are things that like that like. uh your your typical person would be able to kind of maneuver through, right. but I would. I was at a point where I kind of didn't understand how how it was impacting me, mm-hmm. and I, I I'm definitely mentally healthier now than I was six months ago. Oh yeah, and I think that comes down to a lot of things, but. I, I I think really what it comes down to is football, rugby, whatever, brain trauma. Like, brain trauma is real. Mm-hmm. And, like, the littlest hit. I didn't even know I was getting hit, man. I didn't even know that I got smacked in my head. Right. I went on with my day. I went on with my next morning. Right. I, ha- I had a I had a life within the time that I was concussed. Concussed, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I don't even fucking realize it. Right. Like it goes to show that this brain is so much more powerful than we even know. Oh, absolutely. Where where the fact that it went into a survival state basically, and let you go about your day to day activities while it was still recovering and trying to get you back to reality. Yeah. That's fucking wild. It's really, really incredible, and it's and I think that's why I might have such a, a deep connection and such a deep uh, relationship with the natural world and mm-hmm. with like what truly I know exists. Right. You know what? Some, some, or at least I think I know it exists. Yeah. <laughs> totally. I mean, yeah, shit, that's a different discussion. Uh, it's a completely yeah. different discussion. But right. like. What I know, like, I have seen this, I have felt this, I have smelled this, I've mm-hmm. been surrounded and captivated by these experiences. Mm-hmm. But there was a time, there was a time in this timeline that I'm currently on. That is just completely on a different playing field. Right. I don't, I don't remember it, but right. it happened to my physical body. So, how many confirmed concussions? I guess... Technically three confirmed. But maybe a couple more. Definitely a couple more. Probably for sure a fourth and then maybe a couple more. Fuck. And I mean, there's people who have had it much worse. Oh, and, yeah. And there's yeah. people who have had it a lot easier. But, dude, something happened to me. Right. After this last, concu- after this last concussion, something Changed. happened in my brain so the way that i think the way that i am the person the human being that i am mm-hmm. it changed do you think that um with the realization of you know what what's been going on in the nfl and what's just just what we know about concussions in general do you think that your knowledge of how dangerous it can be to your mental health 
was a big deciding factor in you quitting football? Absolutely. Because, I mean, think about it this way. If you were 10 years removed or 10 years prior, you'd probably still be playing football. I would I would just be like, my bell got rung. Yeah, I was out of it rung. for a few days. That was the common theme. Like, and that, that's my age of football. Sure. And even before, it was just like, oh, yeah, I got my bell rung. It was just this, like natural thing that you just kind of went just went back to it yeah my bell got rung um i didn't feel good for a few days i drank some water i feel okay now right let's get after it and 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 just think about how many people just lied through that process right before there was baseline testing and that's why i'm completely super grateful for my coaches and my doctors and the trainers and that were proactive about the doctors it. that I saw were very honest and they said, Listen, man, you have brain damage. Right. And I I had to take that and understand it and respect it for what it is. I have right. I I experienced brain damage mm-hmm. and I have to understand that the the things that I was feeling and thinking were because of this brain damage. Right. You know, and it's as crazy and as detrimental as it might sound to say brain damage, Mm -hmm. my brain was damaged for a short period of time. And I did things. I meditated. I took nootropics. I took all kinds of, I did all kinds of things that I could to increase my brain health and increase my memory and focus and stuff like that. And I mean, it definitely helped, but it didn't, it didn't do what it needed. I had brain damage, man. My brain was damaged for a period of time. That stuff doesn't come back. Right. Right. And well, I, well, I will say this. I mean, you're you're very articulate for a guy that's had his bell rung a couple times. <laughs> I, I I truly think that having my bell rung has inspired and at least contributed to to my, an influx to the way that I think, the way that I speak, and, right, and everything that I do. I I, I think these yeah. these kind of when, like when my brain gets damaged and I enter a state like that, it only influences me to to explore that more. So that's that's an interesting that's an interesting idea because um, I was talking to your dad earlier because my dad's had several sure. dingers, and uh, you know he comes from a time before time as far as concussions go. Where I mean you you've seen those those fields that they played on East Waterloo, and that's when like the the invention of uh, turf too where it's like a quarter inch of carpet on top of uh, yeah astroturf a quarter inch of astroturf on top of concrete and our dads were smacking their the shit out of their heads on that nasty ass stuff plus they were fighting differently there were there was all kinds of different things that just went by the wayside yeah right and uh your dad was asking me earlier on when he picked me up in marshalltown and he was like so you know your dad's had a couple of concussions and I mean, there's a couple that he doesn't know about too, but he was like, do you think that it's fucked with your dad and all? And I was like, I don't know, man, like quirk men in general are pretty stubborn for natural reasons, I guess you could say. And like, we don't always want to answer the questions that we were asked and we're smart asses and, but we're, but we're also pretty intelligent and we have you know a good family structure and all this other shit that we, all the positives that it comes with sure. being a quirk man right 
but uh, kind of what you were just saying, where like it puts you in a different headspace and how you evaluate things, and especially yourself. It's one of the frustrating things about my father now is that he's got his bell rung so many times that he processes information at a different speed. Sure. Not that he's not processing it quickly. He's still sharp as a tack. There's no doubt about it. My dad's one of the most you know, enlightened guys that I've, I've ever talked to, period. And, um, you know, Grandpa Chuck's a very intelligent guy too. And, um, just knowing, just knowing the people that our fathers know puts us in a realm of, of some very intelligent people. Right. So we're around that shit a lot. So, so I help, I hold my dad at a pretty high standard as far as an intelligent man goes. But, uh, as far as like being in a different headspace and how you evaluate things and the speed that you evaluate things, it definitely, I, I think that it definitely put him into, Especially his last, I mean, three confirmed concussions concussions since probably 2005 that I know of of my father. For sure, more yeah. than that, when he was younger. Right? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. That's that's three since 2005 right. when, like, concussions became a thing. Right. You know, and before that, could be four, could be five, could be ten. Who knows? It's undocumented. There was no baseline. But... After his most recent one, he definitely evaluates things a different way. It's a different headspace, kind of like what you were, you know, going at there. Like it, it puts you in a different, almost in a different world, where you might have the, you might have the ability to look outside in, or is that you actually doing what you're doing? And sometimes my like my mom freaks the fuck out because. Like Wayne, answer the question. And I know Sherry gets after your dad too, where Steve thinks he's being he's being witty by not answering the question right away. But maybe they're just evaluating things at a different at a different level. Right. And there there's more levels of thinking instead of just that natural yes no. Right? And I think maybe that maybe that what I'm trying to say is that maybe that helps you access a different level of thinking. Even though it's trauma does that trauma lead to a different level of enlightenment? It's a very, very interesting <laughs> way of looking at things, but I think it has a lot. I think it definitely has a lot to back it up because, man, you, you get put in a space where, is this real? Is this fake? Mm-hmm. And then you take... Once you experience that, you carry that. You know, right. you carry that. It's there. Is this real? Is it's this not fake? Going you, away. Ca- you carry that into everything mm-hmm. to the point where you're completely healthy, you're mentally healthy, and someone asks you something and you evaluate it the same way. Is this real? Mm-hmm. Is this fake? You know, is this, is this something that I actually need to pay mind and deep intellectual thought to, or is this something that I can pass by? Right, you know, and I I think that's something that a concussion definitely does for you is it it puts you in a state that you cannot access without trauma or without pain or some sort of damage, some yeah. sort some sort of there's uh, something there, some sort of disconnect from right. reality, right, from that normal function, right, 
and 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 then it sticks with you. Mm-hmm. So I, I I think what you're saying definitely definitely holds. Do you weight. think that maybe like when you have that traumatic experience that it accesses different parts of your brain? Because I mean, what we know that we only use a certain amount of our brain, yeah. right? So when you have trauma to a specific part of your brain, I think it's the natural. I think that our brain starts finding different avenues of getting information from the brain to the body. I think it definitely does because if my physical self was able to go to class, was able to participate and type on computers. And unknowingly do it. And completely unknowingly do it. If my, my physical self was able to do that kind of thing, it shows that that part of the brain, it shows that that part of the brain is able to perform those functions. Right. And at the same time, it shows that there's other parts of the brain that are elsewhere. Right. While your physical self... Are accessed, yeah. Are being accessed, you know? Dude, I woke up on Wednesday morning and I went to my teachers and tried to explain to them... That you were gone. I tried to explain to them what What happened to me and why I wasn't gone. And I said... I said... I was severely concussed in this weekend's football game and I'm going to be completely honest with you I don't understand what happened between then and now but that's why I wasn't in class Monday and they said you were you here. were here Monday you know you participated you were here here's what you submitted to me that Monday right. and I read it and I'm like man that ain't bad <laughs> if my if my brain is able to work on those levels without right. me knowing it there's no way that my brain is not working on other levels without right. me knowing it. Oh, to- yeah. Right? Totally. Totally. And 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 once I once I came to that realization, I understood that holy shit, my brain is so complex. Oh, yeah. We we know nothing about the brain and what it can do. Nothing. And, and but and as much as we understand Nature, uh, you know, to to do a Jeff Goldblum Jurassic Park, nature uh, uh, finds a way. <laughs> <laughs> nature finds a way, <laughs> right? And it's it's that's that's super interesting to me because uh, you know seeing my dad go through that stuff. I I personally don't think I've ever had a concussion, um, but I've I've also seen some where like dudes got popped and instant like vomiting. You, like all the worst symptoms that you can have happen immediately. Right away. Yeah. You know, I had, I played with a dude from uh, Fairbanks, Alaska, and uh, we were playing in Nebraska, Omaha before they cut their program. We're down there for a game, and he got smacked on a kickoff return. And he was one of the hardest hitting dudes I've ever played with, just a stud. And he got hit. And he kind of stumbled around for a little bit, and like the trainers were running at him, and he turned, and he just started walking straight from where he was, and when they pulled him over the sideline, I was standing there. It was, yeah, it was kickoff, so yeah, I was still on the sideline because obviously I was on offense, right? And I was sitting on the bench, and they put him down like maybe two people away from me. And uh, they're asking him all these questions and stuff, and he's just like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. And they're like, you walk to the other sideline. And he's like, what? I walked to the other sideline? They're like, where, where were you going? He goes, I, I went north. He said, I went north. 
That's all, that's all he, every question they asked him, he said, I went north, I went north. Because he totally got smoked and stumbled around for a few minutes in the middle of the field and then he just directly walked towards north. And they're like, why were you walking north? He's like, I'm from Alaska. That's all he could say. <laughs> like, he went to this primal mode of, he, I need like, to go home. He, I need to go home. And he Holy just, shit. and his body naturally in a concussed state turned to himself north and he actually walked north holy shit towards the wrong sideline but it was actually north wow yeah he was like i'm from fairbanks alaska that's somewhat that obviously it's like super northwest from nebraska omaha but something told him to walk that way and he just went that way that's all he could answer that's all he could answer See, man, our brains are incredible, and I think they store information. I think they have so much on us where oh, absolutely. Where if you get put out of a state where your conscious and physical self can't react to what your brain is thinking, your brain will control your physical and conscious self to say, here's what you do at this time on this day. Right. And that's fucking incredible, man. Mm-hmm. That is fucking fascinating. Like that man started walking north because that was a natural knew instinct. Natural instinct. That is where he goes right. for safety. Boom. That's home. Yeah. Just a very primal response. So I mean, that and might I, actually speak to the level of the concussion that he had. And I, where it was so banged up that that his brain's only instinct was home. And I, I think that speaks to the level of concussions that anyone might have, especially like when I was, I didn't know, but my body took me from my apartment yeah, it took you to, to class my classroom. And participated, participated and submitted, a, submitted assignments. Submitted assignments. Totally. Talked to my professors. It went knew, to another it knew class, what your, your daily functions were, even though you were out of your head. It it's it made you survive your daily functions. And when I went and talked to my trainer, and he was like, "Yep, we'll send an email to your professors." He was like, "Go ahead and talk to your professors. Like, tell them what happened. Let them know that I'll be sending a message that has it all cleared." You know. Right. And I went to talk to my professors, and they they were more dumbfounded than I was. Man. Right. They were like, "And these are these are people that are teaching at a collegiate level." At a high level, at a private institution. One of them I'm pretty close with. One of the professors I'm pretty close with, and he started laughing. Right. You know, he thought it was a fucking joke. Right. He's like, you're, like, you're trying to put me on bar stools or I, something? Like, <laughs> no, I literally told him, I was like, so I know this might sound weird, but I had a real, con- really bad concussion over the weekend, so that's why I wasn't in class on Monday. And so that's why I might sound weird right now. And he was like, He's like yeah, <laughs> he was like, ha ha. Yeah. He he was like, no, that's he was like, so he was like, so how are you feeling? Like joking around, and I was like, no, I'm feeling okay, but like, I just don't know if I can like, uh, if I can get this work done, if I can comprehend like what's going on, and he was like, wait, you understand? Like, you weren't in class on Monday, right? And I was like, no, I was like on Monday, I just stayed in my bed, like I didn't really feel good. I was I was really. Disassociated with the reality, mm-hmm. and he was like, "No, you're here on Monday. We had a discussion on like ethics right. and communication." Yeah, n- not easy con- context. And yeah. I was like, "No, I was, 
like Saturday, I had a really bad concussion and like, I didn't no, feel been, the effects until Sunday my, night. Yeah, I've been balled up in my room. I was, yeah, I was like, I really didn't feel good. And he was like, No, you were here on Monday. You're right. my physical self was there, and dude, I have no recollection. That's the scariest so, part of it for me. So that was before you reported to your athletic staff, right? Or was that, was that, I went you? to my athletic staff on Monday or on Monday afternoon, and then I went and talked to my teachers on Tuesday afternoon. Okay, and they told me you were in class on Monday. Right? Did did, did any of them reach out to the athletic staff saying like, "Yo, Jake came in talking like he he was here yesterday, and he wasn't he wasn't a drunk hungover college student. Like, dude was." Well, fucked I, up. I, well, I had gone. I had gone to my athletic staff before. I had gone to my went to your professor classes. So I think it was kind of simultaneously happening. But like the night, like on Wednesday at that point, my Monday professors knew, had knew. They they had known. They were like, okay, this dude was fucked up. And I mean, I'm not trying to glorify it at all. But I took right. I took like a week, a week and a half or two weeks off of classes. And right. Like, doing schoolwork and stuff like that but that that was a time in my life that happened mm-hmm. it happened mm-hmm. my physical body this from other people's perspective perspective jake quirk was there right on those days right and i but said you were shit. not there i said shit i talked about stuff you talked to your family i talked to people man mm-hmm. i talked to people and I don't fucking remember it. Right. And so that, that right there, from about two days after that, I had a really, really deep introspective look at myself. And I said, okay, if I was gone for the last 24 hours, mm-hmm. if I was out doing my normal shit. Maybe 48? My roommates were telling me, man. My roommates were telling me, like, yeah, you seemed okay. Like, we played video games. You know, right. we hung out. We talked shit. If I was there, where was I? Right. You know? Yeah. You know, where was I? So so moving forward in your life, someday, God willing, you have a, a, a great family and you have some little kiddos. Maybe you pop out a boy. Football? I think by the time that I have kids who are at the age of playing organized sports, Football will be a completely different game than it is now. That's a good point. So I think it's definitely situational, but the way I know it, I would be more inclined to get my uh, child into a different sport, perhaps wrestling, in the winter seasons. But they have a pretty high concussion rate too. Not, not, not. Obviously, not a, not like football. And but you know soccer, soccer and volleyball. Oh, so I I know the studies on soccer and volleyball. I've, they have I've, pretty I've pretty high concussion rates. And I think I would also, I think I would also present my offspring with the facts of the matter that said, mm-hmm. listen, this is dangerous activity mm-hmm. that you're. It's fun. To, it's fun to watch on Saturdays, Sundays, and Mondays, and say, Thursdays, and sometimes Tuesdays and Wednesdays. But <laughs> <laughs> right. But football is dangerous. Beside the fact that it's dangerous, you will learn incredible life lessons. You right. will you will gain friendships and right. brotherhood that you will never get from anything else. Right. And 
honestly, if I had the choice to go back, I would do it all exactly the way oh, I yeah, did. Oh, yeah, for sure. Even with the concussions, man. Yeah, yeah. I have some of the best friends and some right. of my brothers, people that I will have in my fucking wedding. For, yeah, forever. That I would never, ever, ever meet without football. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's why football is important. Yeah, yeah. It, it kind of goes back to what we are talking a little bit about earlier it's just all the all the life lessons and the camaraderie like you know i'm 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 almost 10 years out from college football and i still keep in contact with arguably every old lineman that i played with it's brotherhood yeah for sure and uh i mean yeah there's a handful that i don't but i mean i went to two different high schools and i talked to one guy from high school that's it. Yeah. But from college football and from from college in general, that, I mean, that that's just a time in your life where you, you get to evaluate yourself and your peers a little bit more in a, in a more in-depth level, for sure. But my online boys, wouldn't trade them for the world. I mean, they, they've... <coughs> we've been in some mixes on each other's behalf. They've thrown on my behalf. We've been in each other's weddings. We stood up for them when they're not around. I mean, they're your boys. I mean, you you were blessed with a brother. I was blessed with three awesome sisters. So I, I found my I found my brotherhood in football for sure, and in sports in general. Absolutely. Um, I love my sisters to death. They're they're fantastic. Wouldn't trade them for the world. But growing up without a brothers, it's different. Yes, you're just the only dude. Right. <laughs> There's a lot of shit going on that you don't have to be a part of, and it's weird. You're just like, girl shit. <coughs> girl shit over there. But then all of a sudden you go to college, and you, and, you know, you play college football, and you're like, hey, here's here's this whole family just sitting here waiting for you. And they're with you, no matter what. I mean, we, we, I've, I help them move. I've been in weddings. Shit, my best friend named his kid after me. I told him not to do it. <laughs> I was like, dude, you don't know how to do that. I suck. <laughs> <laughs> I suck. <laughs> don't name your kid Anthony. But he did. But, he, I mean, that would, is, that wouldn't is have met testimony. him. That yeah. is an absolute testimony. Yeah. Man. I mean, it's a different kind of brotherhood. Like, when you go, when you get in the trenches with somebody... It's a it's a totally different mentality. It's a totally different type of friendship and brotherhood that doesn't yeah. go away. Yeah. There's an absolute testimony. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And with that, do you have anything else that you want to chat about before we wrap this thing up? I mean shit, I could probably throw another hour at you, but it it's pretty late. We could probably just go drink some porch beers and stop boring our our, our listen or your listeners. Porch beers it is. <laughs> Fuck you to my sixty fucking listeners. All you listeners. <laughs> All right, that is the end of JQ and Friends podcast with another quirk for the first time instead of AQ. But Ayo, what that is all? Another AQ in a sense, yeah. Another oh, true, yeah. Cool. A- AQ, the original AQ, the original Anthony AQ. quirk, motherfuckers. Oh, <laughs> sit down, sit AQ. down, little A. Sit down, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> all right, yo, that's uh, the next episode of JQ and Friends. If you're still listening right now, <laughs> after two hours, kudos and 10 to you. Minutes. <laughs> Cheers, and Bros. that is it. Cheers.